0: Sunday well this morning um, Bruce Saywood who is um, uh, the director or a what a principal or senior partner um, in, a, in a, uh, an accountancy practice named after himself uh, Sayward Dawson uh, which are a, a company based in Melbourne and because Bruce is dealing with um, money on a day-to-day basis um, I thought it would be great for Bruce to share with us a couple of um, key principles that in his many years of uh, engaging in this topic, um, have been, um, he's seen to be really important. So Bruce is going to start uh, this session this morning just with some some practical uh, thoughts for us on this topic. So let's welcome Bruce. Thanks, mate.
1: Thanks, Steve. It's great to be uh, able to be involved this morning. And um, I guess I've been an accountant now for some 38 years 39 years or something like that. But I've seen lots of people. And I guess one of the distinguishing features I've observed with clients is it's not so much what they have, but what they do with what they have that makes a big difference. And so financial discipline is actually really important. Um, So much so that I think it's more important than investment returns. And people are often concerned about how can I invest to really make a go. And that's important, but it's about having a plan, etc. as well. So I want to start off by telling a story about two tradies. Um, Two of my clients were in partnership together. And so they had a, a business that they were working together. They had access to the same income stream, the same salary. But they were poles apart because one of them lived for the day and the other guy had a plan. And the one who had a plan once said to me, he said, debt is good. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it puts me under a little bit of pressure because what I do is I go and I borrow and I, I, I save up and put a deposit on a property and I borrow and then I pay that down and then when I've done that, I'll do it again. But if I didn't do that, I'd just spend the money. So for him, it was really quite simple. It was about put yourself under a bit of financial pressure and actually be disciplined about what you do. And so it made a huge difference when you wind the clock forward 15 or 20 years. These two guys were in very different places. So I guess that's the first thing I'd say is that it's about financial discipline. The second one is that uh, we need to plan around life seasons. And we can take a lesson from Joseph in this case. as He, um, he went ab- away and built up the reserves in those seven good years and then they are in good, good position to last through the seven years of famine. And so I guess in our family situations we go through different seasons as well. So we have the, the, the period of abundance, you know, the two incomes and no responsibility. And uh, I, I actually say that, that my son changed when he had a wife and a mortgage and his attitude changed. I had great hope for the future uh, when that happened. So we all go through different stages. And so the first one, I guess, is that two incomes and it's easy perhaps to settle into a groove of comfort but it's also an important time to actually set aside and begin to provide for that period because we know that when kids arrive and maybe the second income stops for a period, there's a period of those lean years that we need to plan around and they're actually the hardest years for anyone in terms of just getting through. And then there's the empty nest and then we need to plan for the future, et cetera. And so I'd say plan around life seasons, which includes, I guess, that principle of putting something aside, Um, having a contingency or reserve fund that you can draw on because inevitably the washing machine's going to break down the same week that you have an accident in the car and you need to make sure that there's something just to draw on. And I guess in that sense, I also just encourage people to think about their insurance needs. And often that's not just about death insurance, but it's about what happens if I was injured and not able to work, because I still have these responsibilities. So there's plenty of accessibility to income protection, often through your own superannuation fund, you can take that these days. Um, so plan for right life season. The, the third point is have a system. And my father died when I was eight years old, and my mum at that stage had five children between uh, four and 13. And so I learnt by observing my mother some really interesting lessons about money management. And I can remember distinctly that in our home, there was actually, it was probably quite, quite an, uh, an unusual feature, but we had a desk that was built into a cupboard and you pull down the top. And I can remember distinctly that mum had a series of jars in that desk. And each time she got her fortnightly pension, she'd put something aside for the things that were yet to come – So the expenses that were going to come later in the year, whether it was rates or electricity or insurance, et cetera. So for her, that was her system of putting funds aside so that she had something for when she needed it. And there are many options, and for many of us, perhaps the easiest thing is to have a separate bank account that's there for those sorts of things, that we put something aside regularly and we, uh, we know that we can deal with this week, but we're putting something aside for the future. There are lots of tools for tracking, and I'll, I'll provide some details a little later on just in relation to tools that you might be able to use. <coughs> um, have a plan and start early. And again, there are plenty of tools around, and you can Google family budget or the, the moneysmart.gov.au site is actually quite helpful as well. Um, but someone said, you know, wh- what's a budget? And here are some cynical responses. It's an orderly way of discovering that you can't live on what you earn. <laughs> or what to stay within if you want to go without. Uh, or a schedule for going into debt systematically. I'm not quite <laughs> sure that, that should is the way it should be. But retirement planning should start early. And for many Australians, I guess the favoured way of doing this is actually to go and buy an investment property. And the reason that that is so popular is that once you've got the deposit together, the $100 or the $200 a week that it, that cost people to hold it can sometimes be affordable. And it seems to be so much you know, more aligned with the Australian psyche to have real estate than it is to put that into superannuation or whatever. But, but that simply says that people acknowledge that they've got some savings capacity, and that's what they can do with it. But, for many of us, it's not going to be that big. It's going to be something simple like paying a little bit more off the off the mortgage or salary sacrificing into super or gradually building up a small investment portfolio that progressively builds over time. And I'll talk a little bit more shortly just about the goal of retirement, but ideally the goal of retirement should be to finish at a point where you actually have a home that you own so that... Whatever your income stream is, whether that's an age pension or whether it's a superannuation fund, it's able to meet your living costs. And, and the statistics I'm going to show today actually talk about living costs excluding either rent or mortgage. So when we see those in, in, relati- in relationship to the age pension, etc., it perhaps gives us an understanding of why that goal is so important. The other thing I'll say is distinguish between wants and needs. And what you do with your discretionary income is really going to make the difference for you. And when it comes to the family budget, it's helpful to separate those things between wants and needs. And um, at a period I used to do some married pre-marriage counselling and, and in the financial area, and I used to say that you could ask yourself four questions. Do I want it when it comes to spending money? Do I want it? The answer is normally, yeah. Yeah. Um, Do I need it? Well, you can justify things if you want. Can I afford it? Can I live without it? So if you're really wanting to put yourself to the test, ask those four questions because it's what you do with what's left over after meeting the essentials that's really going to make a difference. I simply touch on credit cards and that is to say that credit cards should be a means of convenience, not a means of credit. So... If, if you can't control the credit, convert it into a debit card. But they're great for tracking your expenses. They're a great means of convenience. And we're moving into this cashless society. Uh, we were travelling a little while while ago and I denied myself a croissant because I didn't have any cash in my pocket, only to realise that in, in Denmark, where we were, it was quite acceptable to pay for your croissant with a credit card for one euro or whatever it was. But So credit cards can be convenient, but so too can debit cards. So make sure you pay them off by the due date. It's the most expensive form of finance that you can have. So if you do have a balance, then I encourage you to consider how you can either refinance that and restructure that into something that's uh, more effective or pay it out. And then lastly, just share your tips with your peers. Um, You can learn from others, so have those conversations with people who are going through the same life stages. And then, just to follow off, uh, to finish off, I'll talk about a couple of things. The first one is that if we can just go to the next slide, is looking at the retirement standards. And I don't know, what, yes, you can read that. Um, so there's a website which um, I can give you the details if you like. But if you Google um, uh, retirement co- cost of living in retirement or something, you'll find this. It's uh, uh, www.superannuation.asn.au, but they provide um, an indexed basket of goods that they uh, they publish quite regularly and so what they've done is they've given you an indication there of what a modest lifestyle might be or a comfortable lifestyle and what it costs per year to fulfill that and again bearing in mind that this is excluding housing costs so no rent no mortgage okay so if we look at those the basic one there the modest lifestyle of 27425 for singles or 39442 for couples is $527.40 a week for singles, and the age pension is currently $45380. Okay, so you can see the gap there. Um, for a couple, seven fifty-eight fifty, and the age pension is six eighty-four ten. So there's a gap there between what the what the the safety net in Australia is of the age pension and what the basic living costs and bearing in mind that this excludes housing. Um, In other words, you can't simply rely on the age pension and that's very much part of the the process of encouraging people through their Um, the compulsory superannuation contributions that are made to build up a nest egg that's able to supplement that and for us to be able to uh, move towards some degree of self-sufficiency. So that's the first thing in terms of the retirement standard. Uh, And the other one is that um, there is, and I I googled this in the context of, there's a standard called the household expenditure measure. It's not readily available, but it's used to determine your serviceability for, for borrowing. And so I used one of the tools that was on uh, a broker's website and I simply uh, prepared this table. And what it says, again, the weekly living costs, excluding rent or mortgage for two adults or two adults with two children, I- are those numbers that I've shown there. So the moderate is $678 a week, uh, a week and currently the age pension is 684 So that's sa- sending the same message that the pension is not enough for you to live on. So I'm not sure whether there's... No, I don't think there is one more. But I've got some, some tools that you can use. Um, first of all, if you go to the moneysmart.gov.au f- um, website, you'll find a thing called Track My Spend. And so that's just a really low-tech tool for you to actually uh, track your expenses. And there are also tools there for developing a budget. If you want something a little more high-tech, there's a free app called Pocketbook, and you can link your bank accounts and that will actually come in and you can classify them and track your expenses and report back against a budget as well. So that's, that's a really useful tool and I'd encourage you if you want to actually track your expenses use something like that. Products like QuickBooks Online or Zero, or a little bit more high-tech, uh, and they're subscription-based. And some of the banking apps also have means by which you can track your expenses. So they're just a few tips this morning. I hope that they're helpful. And um, if you want to chat to me later, very happy to. But talk amongst yourselves and share your tips amongst everyone. So thanks, Steve. Thank you. Bruce. That's
0: great. <laughs> thanks, mate. Beautiful. Okay, um, I've gone to the. can I just say that um, one of the key things that Louise and I um, discovered uh, is that um, being around people who are, the statistic is that the, the, your 10 closest friends, uh, you are likely to have, your income will be within 10 to 20% of your 10 closest friends, it's just, that's just the way things are. And one of the things that we discovered, we were very fortunate to have some friends who were um, substantially more wealthier than we were. One couple, um, their swimming pool, um, uh, we, we could have sold our house and lived in half of their swimming pool. And we enjoyed spending time uh, with that couple because they gave us insight into how they'd accrued wealth. There was another couple who were actually instrumental in helping us understand that debt uh, there's po- things such as positive debt and, and, and it can work to your advantage and we were able to leverage that and and have, have um, I guess, uh, yeah, it's been very helpful for us. And I think there's a real key in getting around people like Bruce um, who understand kind of financial things and just learning from them and asking them questions and, and gleaning uh, from them. And there'll be others within our church community as well who just have a knack of, of 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 doing 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 well financially and i encourage you to get alongside those folks and just ask them to share um, the keys that they've learned in in um, in establishing themselves financially so thanks bruce that was really helpful um, the bible has a lot to say about uh our money and possessions and when you thumb thumb through the Bible, you'll find copious um, financial advice on a range of economic topics. So you'll find advice on investing. You'll find advice on, on giving. If you uh, look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament, there was three uh, areas of giving. There was tithes, that uh, means ten, a tenth, giving a tenth of uh, your income. There was offerings, so that was above and beyond um, your tithe. And then there was almsgiving. That's not these alms, but ALMS, that was giving to the poor. And if you do a rough tally of what a good Jew, a good faithful Jew gave um, under um, Old Testament law, was about 28% of their income was given away in tithes, offerings and almsgiving. Aren't you relieved that you're living under a dispensation of grace? Uh, What's interesting is only about 15% of Christians tithe. Let me say that again, only 15% of Christians tithe. And um, um, I know that we look at the church sometimes and wonder why it is not as effective as uh, as it ought to be and why it's not making a difference in the world. And I believe that this is probably one of the, the key reasons is that um, Jesus said that um, uh, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And so I suspect that a lot of people who are attending church, their, their, their heart actually isn't engaged fully in the things of God because that's, that's not where their, their treasure is. And the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 14.23 that the purpose of tithing um, is to teach you to always put God first. I don't subscribe personally um, to uh, to tithing. Um, I think it's 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 a good uh, starting point, and it opens up a life of generosity. But I certainly uh, would not impose that as a law upon. Upon folks but it's just a helpful gauge to, to help us loosen ourselves up so that we become generous uh, people uh, the Bible also talks about budgeting um, and Mark uh, last uh, Sunday shared about the 10 80 plan giving ten percent uh, saving 10 percent and then living on the remain remaining eighty uh, percent there's saving and spending uh, leaving an inheritance whereabouts is Nate and Lorna. Yeah, we're working we are working really hard to make sure um, that each of our kids um, are given something that when when we go <laughs> that when we go um, we we hand something over to them. Um, we want to just give them a bit of a, a push. Um, also this is another one for Nate and Lorna, um, providing for your immediate family. So just remember that when we're getting older and uh, whatever. You have a responsibility to look after us and take care of us. Uh, The Bible talks about avoiding uh, get-rich-quick schemes. It also uh, encourages us to avoid going guarantor. Louise and I uh, um, disobeyed this principle one time and uh, we got caught out. The very good friend of ours, a really godly person, uh, we lent them, um, uh, went guarantor and um, they were unable to pay that uh, particular debt and so it landed with us. And then we learned another biblical principle as a result of that was, and that was forgiving debt. (laughs) Um, The Bible talks about uh, jubilee and there was a system that God instituted that every seven years that uh, slaves needed to be set free. And then every uh, seventh uh, sabbatical years, the 49 years, or the 50th year, there was to be uh, this time where every, every slave was to be released, every debt was to be forgiven. So if in the, um, in the 48th year you could go and get a really big mortgage, and in the 50th year you would be released from that. How good was that? And also all land had to be returned to its original owner. That was the principle that that uh, is there in Jubilee, the forgiving forgiving debt. Um, avoiding debt is another principle that's talked about in the Bible. But as I've mentioned, I think there is some some good, would you agree, Bruce, there's some good healthy forms of, of debt. Um, here's another interesting one. Not charging interest is a biblical principle. In fact, in the Old Testament, um, it was called usury, usury. Um, or 2% interest was considered to be almost an abomination. Wouldn't you love to have a mortgage uh, with a 1% or 2% uh, interest rate? Stewardship is another principle which I'll talk about in a second. Then there's this issue of of greed. Um, John D. Rockefeller, who was a wealthy man, was asked one time, how much money does it uh, take to make you happy? And his response was, just a little bit more. How much money does it take to make you have just a little little bit more? And then there is another biblical principle called prosperity. Mark shared this last week and gave us, I thought, what is a really, really good definition. Prosperity is having enough to meet our needs, but also with enough left over to be generous and giving towards others. And so the Bible tells us that God delights in the prosperity of of his servants uh, but prosperity always has a purpose. It's in order that we might be, able, we're blessed in order to be a blessing. And then another uh, principle of economics is work. The first scripture that we taught each of our kids was, if you don't work, you don't eat. That was the first scripture we taught each of our kids. I'm not sure if I had the chance to raise them again that I would necessarily do that. Um, But the Bible does talk about the importance of work being the primary way of acquiring wealth. And also the Bible goes into a whole range of um, labour laws and how to treat your um, uh, employees and making sure that a labour is worthy of Of their hire, and then there's one other key thing which is so often overlooked in the whole area of biblical economics, and that is God's supernatural provision, God's supernatural supply. I just think all of those principles that I've just shared with you are what what I would call foundational wisdom principles, and we should be seeking to live out those principles in our day-to-day life. But we should not put a full stop. After those principles, I believe there is a realm that God wants us to enter into, and that's says His supernatural supply or God's supernatural provision. If you read the Bible, you will discover that God turns or Jesus turned the water into wine. Elijah um, and the widow's oil—oil uh, oil was a, was a form of currency back in those days. And this woman who was uh, was was destitute, the prophet comes to her house. And supernaturally does something with that jar of oil. It just doesn't run out. Um, There was the the Israelites who experienced the provision of manna. And manna was um, this substance that when they lived in the desert, that they would go out each day and collect the manna. And that was their food. It was remarkable. Um, There was uh, a time where Jesus had a tax bill and... um, what he did was he instructed his disciples to go and um, go fishing. And he said, you go fishing, you're going to find a coin in a fish's mouth. And that's what happened. A, enough, enough money in the fish's mouth to uh, pay for Jesus and the disciples' tax bill. Yes, yeah, some of us need a, a whale, <laughs> or not just a fish, <laughs> to cover our tax bill. And then obviously there is the multiplication of the loaves And fishes, and I think we ought to live with the expectation that as we're applying these wisdom principles, all these great truths that um, that God has placed in the Bible, that are that are that are wise economic truths, we should still live with an expectation that God is going to come through for us in very unique and surprising ways. And when you start living like that, I want to tell you, life becomes exciting I think I've shared some of our stories and I won't go into that again but when you enter into this when when money doesn't dominate your life but the voice of God controls your life dictates to you life becomes very very exciting you get to do things and go to places that you can't do in your own strength because you're responding in in faith to what God is calling you to do. Now, the Bible identifies two kinds of wealth. Firstly, there's earthly or material wealth, and that is that's temporal. Um, whatever we have accumulated here on earth, we won't be taking with us when we die. You know the pharaohs in the um, those triangular things that they used to put. What were they called? Pyramids. That's right. That's right. Those triangle things. Yeah, <laughs> pyramids. That's right. They. Um, they used to bury them with all of their, their kind of their possessions. Was this idea that when they entered into the afterlife, all of those things would go with them? Sorry, but your car and your house and uh, all of those other things stay with us here on earth. Is we we uh, what was it in? Um, In 1 Timothy 6-7, Paul says, We brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. The other kind of wealth is heavenly or spiritual wealth. And this is what Jesus called um, true riches. And this is eternal. Um, Spiritual wealth includes three things. Um, It's good character. Um, In Proverbs 11.4, it says, Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. And then uh, Proverbs 28.6, it says, Better to be poor and honest than to be dishonest and rich. I want to ask you a question this morning. If you had the choice between money and good character, what would you choose? What would you choose? That's good. The other um, um, sign or symbol of uh, of spiritual wealth is contentment. In Philippians chapter four, uh, Paul writes while he's in prison. He writes, "I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing, or with everything." I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. At that moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me uh, with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, contentment is an inner satisfaction which is unaffected by outward circumstances. And one of the keys to developing uh, contentment is, as, as Bruce pointed out, is distinguishing between our wants and our needs. You notice when and Paul here in Philippians talks about God meeting his and the Philippians' needs. That God would meet their needs, not their, not their wants. So some of us might say, I, I need a new iPhone. It's almost like phones now, and I think this is quite legitimate, the kind of world we live in. Um, technology is almost a necessity, isn't it? No. <laughs> the world I live in, it's a necessity. <laughs> um, and I would kind of, oh, there's this new iPhone that's come on the market. I need, I, I, I need that new iPhone. But do I? Is that a want Or is that a need? Now, a need is something that we require in in the now. A want is something um, that we'd like but can wait for the future. Now, let me be clear. God is not opposed to meeting our wants. The Bible says that God gives us the desires of a heart. But... um, when it comes to the areas of our wants, sometimes, and this is where character kicks in, is we just need to be patient and trust God to provide our wants in God's time frame. When um, we were, we, were um, we had a young family and um, we had very little in those days. And um, Louise had a prayer diary. And in her prayer diary, she made a list of all of the furniture that we needed we needed. And we used to have tea chests for our coffee tables. They were our bedside our bedside tables, our coffee table. They were, all, they were all tea chests that we'd sourced from somewhere. Then we had a sofa at that time, which we had procured from a friend's garage. And when we brought it home, it was riddled with mice. And so we had this mice plague because of the sofa... And what Louise used to do is um, she used to cover everything with calico. So the tea chests were covered in calico, the sofa was, was covered in calico. It was like, uh, what is that? calico was uh, the, the, it covers a multitude of sins, you know, when it comes to furnishings. Um, but we just made do with what we, what we had. We made sure that we didn't borrow, and I have to say this is because of Louise's Kind of character, not mine. Um, she she just said, "No, we're just going to pray, and we're going to believe God." And what a year or so after, she was going through her prayer diary, and she went, "Oh my God, we've got that, we've got that, we've got that, we've got that." Now we could have gone into debt for those wants, but she just pressed the pause button, prayed, and God provided. And then the um, the third uh, sign of uh, of uh, of spiritual or heavenly uh, riches is people and relationships. That ultimately, it's people that matter the most. It's their well being and eternal value that is of greatest significance. And these three things are the determine that determine our true wealth, our 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 spiritual wealth, character contentment and the substance of the relationships and the people that we invest in. I want to say that that earthly material wealth is neither good nor evil. It's actually neutral. Um, It's not wrong for us to have wealth or possessions. The problem is, is when those things have us, when our possessions possess us. And money is only a a problem when it becomes our master, when it begins to dictate our lifestyle and our life decisions. And in Matthew chapter six, uh, verses 24 to 34, Jesus um, um, touches, uh, teaches on money and possessions. And I won't read through that. That. That uh, verse and your small groups uh, throughout the week encourage you to uh, go to Matthew 6 24 to 34 and read through it. But what Jesus talks about in this portion of scripture is he, he, he says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, you will be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, some versions say mammon. Mammon. It kind of sounds... What's mammon? Well, mammon is not just referring to money, but mammon represents an over-attachment and unhealthy relationship to money and material things. Mammon is when, when money and possessions become our master. And according to Jesus, there are two forces that are competing for our service. There are two things that want to be our master. One is money. Materialism, consumerism, and the other is God. And for the Christian, our goal is to live unenslaved to money and materialism and possessions, but to bind ourselves to God. And when you read through um, uh, that those verses in Matthew chapter six, what it tells us, or Jesus tells us, that our relationship to money reveals three things about us: one, where our love and loyalty lie. We either serve God or mammon. We're going to love one and hate the other or um, we're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. So we can only serve one of two masters. There is no there is no, no in between. Secondly, um, our relationship to money reveals where we gain our security from. And Jesus points out that we can either live with the conviction that God is a loving parent who's committed to caring for us and meeting our needs, or we are self-reliant and that we create, seek to create our own security through the accumulation of money and possessions. And the consequence, Jesus says, of us being self-reliant is worry. So a really good sign of whether we're under the, the control or enslaved to money is if we are worrying and spending our time... Thinking a lot, preoccupied with, with money and, and, and possessions, and then the third thing that Jesus tells us in Matthew six is, um, money reveals whose kingdom we are building. He says to seek first the kingdom of God, and so um, money is ultimately a tool um, that we uh, can um, that we can do one two things. We can be building our own kingdom with our financial resources, or we can be building the kingdom of God. Now, a key to um, mastering mammon is understanding this principle of, of stewardship. The Bible is built on the principle found in Genesis 1, that God is the creator of the world and therefore the owner of all that is in it. And the foundation of biblical thinking is we were made by God... And for God to steward the earth and its resources on God's behalf. So some scriptures here. Leviticus says the land must never be sold on a permanent basis. God says, for the land belongs to me. You are only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. Then Haggai says, um, God says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And in Psalm 24, uh, God says, the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people Belonging to God. So from a biblical perspective, all the wealth in the world belongs to one person. That's that's God. And because God is the the creator and owner of the world, then what we possess, we only hold in trust. It's entrusted to us. And so our, our, our money and our possessions are not ours. They are ultimately gods. And they've been gifted to us. And we're simply looking after those things on God's behalf. And the Bible encourages us to think of what we have, not as something that we own, but as something that we steward. This word steward... um, which Jesus refers to regularly as parables. And so there's, in Matthew chapters 18, 24, 25, and Luke 12 and 19, he uses, he uses a particular Greek word, which means one charged with the administration of the affairs of the true owner. And so Jesus instructs us to be faithful and wise with God and trusts into our hands. And when we do that, when we move away from this, this thinking that we are owners and move into, a, into thinking of ourselves as stewards, it's at that point I believe that we break the hold of mammon over our lives. Does that make, does that make sense? And this, is a, this is the challenge that we all face because it is so tempting to look to money to be our source of security and uh, 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 not to God. Um, but I, I just believe when we get this right, other things fall into place. Now, I just want to finish with one, one scripture, um, and it's from 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 to 19. I think this scripture is really, really helpful um, in guiding us in, a, in terms of our relationship to, to money. Um, how many of you here would consider yourself to be rich? I think, I think most of us in, in the world in which we live today, where we, we, are, we are wealthy. And this is what uh, Paul says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And I love that. Isn't that beautiful? God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. We, we were created to enjoy life. And God does want to provide for us so that we can live the kind of life that he's designed for us. It goes on to say, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they might experience true life. I want to encourage you to um, look at um, those wisdom principles in, in the Bible. Um, be a good steward of your resources and look to God as uh, as your source. Bless you. Let's all stand and uh, we might just close not with a song. We'll, we'll play it but we'll, I'm going to Just conscious of the time, conscious that the kids are coming out. So loving God, I just pray for every every person, every family in this church, that God, we would come into a place where we are good stewards of the resources that you've given to us. That Father God, you have blessed us in order that we might be a blessing. Help us to be generous givers as you are generous, I pray. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.